Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Hello, family, Relove Church family, Orange County community. Thank you so much for taking the time and worshiping with us. Whether you are actually here at Orange County, which is where we're located, or you're watching from some other part of this country or some other part of this world, I wanna welcome you into this worship experience. And I just thank you so much for taking the time and for leaning in. And I know that God has a word for you. We've been praying for you um, every morning, actually, from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. We get on a call. Many of the members from this congregation, we get on the phone and we pray for you. We pray for your health, for your safety, for your family, for your protective, for the protection over your life. I know many of you all, are battling and wrestling with loss and suffering and COVID and unemployment during this season. And our hearts, our prayers are definitely going out for you. And if there's anything that we can do here at Relove Church for you, please do not hesitate to get in touch with us however we can. We definitely want to serve you during this season. And then on top of that, we know it's Christmas. And for many of us, just like Thanksgiving, this Christmas is going to be a little bit different. Um, Here in Southern California, they've already started issuing these stay-at-home orders. Now, whether you're listening to that or not, we don't know, but they are issuing these stay-at-home orders where they are really concerned. And we are really concerned about the spread of this virus. And so we just ask that you know, that you would do everything you can within your power to remain safe, wearing a mask and sanitizing. But on top of that, we're praying for you because we recognize that many of you all won't be able to see your family and friends like you're accustomed to during this holiday season. And that's just not good for anyone. And so our prayers are definitely with each and every one of you. We believe though that in spite of everything that we're going on, that's going on in this world right now, that God has a plan that God has purposes and that God's purposes will prevail both in this country and in your life specifically. And we started talking about that last week when we were delving into how do we reconcile God's plan when God's plans are different than our plans and it looks like we're suffering. Was it a part of God's plan that I suffer? And what we discovered last week in our message was that, listen, no, it's not God's plan that you suffer, but God can use suffering to advance his purposes and to bring glory to his name. And so we dealt with that last week, and today we're going to continue with this theme of God's plan, and I just know that you'll be blessed. I would just ask that if you're at home or if you're in a position where you can actually send a text message or a phone call to a family or friend and let them know you're watching and invite them, share the link, invite them to watch with you. If you're on Facebook right now, you can just hit that share button, maybe start a watch party so that other people can also be exposed to the word of God and hopefully by the grace of God that they will be blessed just the same. So we're going to have a word of prayer and then we're going to dive into the word today. Father, we just thank you again just for an opportunity to declare your word, to dig into your word. God, I'm mindful that there are people right now who are watching who are, who are living and operating in a season of uncertainty, of fear, of doubt, of crisis. And God, I just pray that you would just surround them and lift them and comfort them and allow your peace to flow into their lives. I pray that through your word today, you would speak a word to them, that our faith would be renewed and that we would continue to grow in our walk with you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So for today, I really want to take time and begin to look at the word of God as it pertains to God's timeliness. Now, I don't know how you feel or if you're one of these characters, but I am that type of individual where I value punctuality. 
can I get a witness somewhere online in the chat? Like, if you value punctuality, just raise your hand and let me know that you're with me on this thing. Like, I value if we say we're going to start at 9, if we say we're going to start at 10, like, let's start at 9. Let's start at 10. Like, I, for some reason, I was just wired this way. Um, I was wired in such a way where uh, if we make a commitment to do something, I want to make sure that we actually do it. And I know for all of my non-punctual, unpunctual, punctual people out there that might frustrate you just a little bit, but just so that you know, your lack of punctuality frustrates me just the same, right? And so there are people out there who are like me, who are just like, you know what? We want to make sure we start on time. I want to be timely. And when I think about my family, my daughters, praise the Lord, I think they are cut from the same cloth that I am because they like to be extremely punctual. They like to show up on time. Their mother pray for us, on the other hand, is not as punctual. And I can just tell you story after story of how that she will, her, her punctuality or lack of punctuality will just really drive my daughters crazy. They want to say, mommy, why can't we be on time to things? And so she's getting it and we're all getting it just a little bit. But to understand that there is something for me and individuals like us, there is something about being on time. And yet what's interesting about that is that when I look at the word of God, it, it appears that God is a lot more like my wife than he is like me. Like it just, I don't know, it just appears that God is one of those characters where he don't always show up on time. I mean, have you ever experienced that in your own journey where you're expecting God to show up at a certain time and he didn't show up at that time. I mean, if we're honest and if you look through the word of God, there are literally tons of stories in the Bible where God does not show up on time. In fact, he is just flat out late. I mean, he's like one of those characters. My mom used to tell me that, you know, people used to tease her and say, you know what, you're going to be late to your own funeral. Like, like it's almost like God is one of those characters where he is just habitually, consistently, constantly late all the time. Think about, think about Abraham and Sarah, that Abraham and Sarah, they were, she was like, what, 75 years old. He was like 90 something years old. And when they are past their prime, menopause has already started and set in. She can't have children. You know, he's clearly above his, you know, peak performance days. And yet God shows up and says, you know what? You're about to have a child. And I can imagine in Sarah's mind, she's like, God, you're a little bit late. Like you should have came like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe even like 20 years ago. I could have maybe pumped out a kid and they happening now. Right. But God, in spite of what her body was going through or his body was going through, God still showed up late for them. I think about like Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den or even three Hebrew boys where God didn't show up on time. God literally waited until after they were in the furnace or in the lion's den before he showed up. And then I think about like Joseph, how God gave Joseph a dream and literally it took years before the fulfillment of the dream where he spent time as a slave in Potiphar's house. He went to prison. And yet again, it's like, God, why did you wait so long? Why did you take so long? Or think about Hannah. If you know anything about Hannah and she was barren and her husband had multiple children by his other wife. But here she is and she's barren and she can't have children. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And it seemed like it took years before God actually opened her womb and allowed her to give birth to who we know is Samuel, who became a prophet. So you think about God's like activity throughout scripture and it's like time and time and time again, he constantly shows up late. You think about um, uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who were the parents of John the Baptist in Luke chapter one. And even with these two individuals, the Bible says that uh, Elizabeth was barren and she could not have children and they had no children. And then in their old age, God shows up. It's like, hey, you're about to have a son and he's going to become John the Baptist. He's going to be prepared the way for the Lord. And it's like, well, why did you wait? Why did you wait so long? Or even think Old Testament to David. David was, came and he was anointed as king when he was a, when he was a boy. But then it took years before Saul actually got out of the way and David became king. 
And so when you think through God's activity, there is a pattern that when it comes to God answering prayers, when it comes to God showing up on behalf of his people, it seems as though God definitely marches to the beat of a different drum. That he doesn't like, he's not on our wavelength. And we talked about this last week a little bit, how he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. That God takes the foolishness of this world, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, nor has entered into the hearts of men what God has ordained for his people. Like, Like we get all that, but it's just very clear that God functions on his own time table. And it's actually kind of frustrating if we're honest with ourselves. It's interesting because even in Jesus's parable that he tells in Matthew 25 with the parable of the 10 virgins, here again, the parable shows that God is late. I mean, it's literally, there's a wedding and the, the, Jesus says that the bridegroom delayed, that he showed up late to his own wedding and the virgins they were waiting for him so long they fell asleep. And so we see this pattern from Old to New Testament on how God's, his, his timeliness, his response time, that God doesn't always come when we want him, how we want him, and the way we want him. And yet, what I think is interesting is that, that in spite of this, the expectation for us is that we do not lose faith that we don't throw in the towel because it is common for God to be late. And when we say late, we're obviously talking late from our perspective. Like we're not taking, talking late from God's perspective because as you all know, that saying, you know, he might not come when you want him, but he always comes. You can probably finish it for me right on time, right? So we know that and that sounds good and it's real cliche-ish and okay, yeah, that might help you feel better. But when you're going through a situation, it ain't about God, you might not come when I want. Look, I need you to come when I need you to come, if I got a witness. Like there's some situations you find yourself in, you're like, just God, what is taking you so long? But that's really where faith comes in, because faith is not based on God doing what you want him to do, when you want him to do it, and how you want him to do it. If that was the case, then it would not be faith. Faith is actually based, and faith is believing in God when he doesn't do what you want him to do, and when he doesn't do it when you want him to do it, and when he doesn't do it how you want him to do it. In fact, faith is believing in God when God does the exact opposite of what you want him to do. Faith is believing in God when God does the exact opposite of when you want him to do it. And faith is believing in God when God does the exact opposite of how you want him to do it. And yet I understand very clearly the temptation we all experience to doubt God's love for us and God's purpose for us and God's care for us and God's plan for us, especially during times when it feels like God is inattentive, when it feels like God is unconcerned, and when it feels like God is late. I know the temptation is real to doubt God during those times. And yet today, I want to address that. What do we do when it appears as though God is inattentive, God is unconcerned, and God is late? Now, I just want to give you a warning that this is not going to be an emotionally satisfying message. (laughs) You know how sometimes you pull up to the dinner table And it's like, oh, man, I'm going to enjoy this meal. And then sometimes you pull up to the dinner table and it's like, I will not enjoy this meal, but I'm hungry. So I'm going to eat it anyway. Like this is going to be one of them, one of the meals. This is not an emotionally satisfying message. And yet this message is to show that when you are in your darkest moment and you feel all alone, I want to show you that you are actually in good company. Because if right now you are in your darkest moment, and if right now you feel all alone, I want to tell you 
that there is a litany, there is a long line around the building of other people who just like you have been in their darkest moment and just like you have felt all alone. And, and we're gonna start, we're gonna start with John chapter 11. This is our main text today. And I'm reading from the New International Version of John chapter 11. And I wanna start with verse one. The Bible says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Martha, excuse me, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus. Watch, watch what they say to Jesus. Lord, the one you love is sick. So we're, we're going to look at this whole, whole chapter or this whole passage of John 11, but we're just going to kind of break it up and work our way through it. So here we know that there are three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And uh, Lazarus, obviously, as the text just tells us, is sick. But what's interesting is that Jesus has a very close love relationship with this family unit, with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So much so that when Lazarus falls sick, uh, his sisters send word to Jesus, and they don't even refer to, to, to their brother as Lazarus. They don't say, send word and tell Jesus Lazarus is sick. They say, send word and tell Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. It's almost like they are, their relationship is so close. It's like we don't even have to refer to one another by our name. It's like me calling my wife, babe, like, yo, babe, like she knows who I'm referring to. And if I am talking to my daughters, I say, well, you got to talk to my baby. Like they know, oh, he's talking about our mom. Like that's his, that's his baby. Like it's, it's that type of relationship there where they are so close that they say, tell Jesus the one you love is sick. So this tells us one thing, that, that, that whatever Jesus does or doesn't do, he is doing it to someone he loves. That there is this relationship. And so it's almost as if the expectation that Mary and Martha have is because you, are, you love us and because we love you and we refer to one another as the ones that we love and the ones that you love and we are loved, that we expect, Jesus, that you're going to hear our request and it's a no-brainer. You're going to come and you're going to heal. You're going to heal our brother. Why? Because the one that you love is sick. Now, this is like interesting because in this passage, I think it gives us some insight that can really help us in our own lives because I know there are some of you right now who question whether or not God really loves you. There are some of you right now who question, like, does God really notice me? Does God really care about me? Is God really attentive to my needs? Is he really concerned about me? Do, am I even on God's radar? And you feel as though that because maybe your prayers have not been answered or you have not, you didn't get that promotion or you didn't get the job or somehow your situation hasn't turned around or your, your marriage didn't work out, that somehow maybe God has forgotten me. Somehow maybe I slipped through the cracks. Yeah, I mean, yes, God so loved the world, but for some reason, he doesn't notice me. And I just want to let you know that what the text is telling us is that even for that individual that Jesus saw and lived with and worked with called Lazarus, the one whom he loved, Lazarus and his, his sisters had possibly a similar experience that you have. So, so what you're going through right now has nothing to do with whether or not God loves you. Like, I just want that to be clear. Like, don't think that the answer to your prayers are, are your prayers aren't being answered because somehow God doesn't love you. No, I think what God is trying to do specifically in this passage that can bring a lot of uh, value to us is he's trying to introduce us to how he really works and a new model of how he wants to interact with his people. So, so let's look at what he says. So the one that you love is sick. Verse four, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Interesting. He says this sickness 
will not end in death. But if you know the story, it did end in death. And then on top of that, he says, but for God's glory, that God's son may be glorified through it. What is the it that he's referring to? The sickness. I mean, this is interesting. It's almost as again, like Jesus is trying to introduce us to something that he hasn't done before. Very clearly, he says, this sickness will not end in death. But if you know the story, it actually does end in death. And then he goes on to say, it is no, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. It. What is the it? Through the sickness. He's not saying that God's son might be glorified through Lazarus. No, he's like, no, this sickness, I, I want you to know that, that my glory will, will shine through this sickness, which is really, I think, a paradigm shift that Jesus is trying to introduce because historically, what they believed up until that point was that if you were sick and suffering, it was because there was a curse or some sin in your life. And if you were prosperous and abundant, it was because of God's favor on your life. And what Jesus is trying to show in this story, in this passage, is that no, like, like you can be sick and suffering, and yet my glory still shine and show forth and be radiant as a result of your sickness. He's really introducing, I think, a new model, and that is sickness can be for God's glory. Again, I want to remind you that this message is not going to be emotionally satisfying. What Jesus is trying to communicate is that the sickness is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And that while historically we view sickness as a bad thing, this doesn't mean that God And that while historically we view sickness as a bad thing, what God is trying to communicate to us is that through this sickness, I will be glorified. This doesn't mean that God caused the sickness. What this does mean is that the plan that God has for your life, specifically the plan I have for this sickness, is to use it for my glory. Like, like, like step into the text just for a moment and place your own life, your own situation into the text. And this is really, regardless of your faith, regardless of your belief system, uh, some of you all may be believers, some of you all may not be believers, some of you all may be Muslim or some other faith tradition, I think all of us, no matter what we are on the religious spectrum, all of us at some point or another have gone through some suffering in our life. Whether it was within our family, whether it was within our community, whether it was personally within ourselves. And as you place your own suffering in this text, it's almost as if God is saying that the suffering that you're going through actually can be used for God's glory. This is what we learned last week in John chapter 9. And so again, here he tells his disciples, he's like, listen, listen, this sickness is not unto death, but I'm going to get some glory from this sickness. So then he says in verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now it's interesting that, that John, who wrote this book, who wrote this, this story, that he's over and over and over again, really trying to make sure we understand the context of Jesus' behavior. Because some of you, again, believe that the reason why Jesus has not showed up in your life and answered your prayers is because he does not love you. And what John, the author of this particular story, is trying to communicate is like, no, like, Jesus loved Lazarus, he loved his sisters, he loved Mary, he loved Martha, and they loved him. And yet still, even within the context of this love relationship, there was still a disappointment that they experienced. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. 
If, if, if my daughter is deathly ill right now, you better believe I would leave this stage and I'll go find out what's going on and try to do everything I can to save her. Why? Because I love her. Like, like when you love someone, if my wife got into a, God forbid, a car accident and I got a phone call, I would leave this space right now and I would go to find where she is to try to help her. Why? Because I love her. If, if you love someone, you don't delay. Love is decisive. Love is focused. Love is, is passionate. If, if someone's hurting, if someone needs you, you like stop the presses. You hold off everything. Nothing else matters until I addressed my loved one. And yet here, the Bible says that Jesus loved them, and yet he delayed. He loved them, and yet he still stayed there two more days. It's like Jesus is intentionally not showing up. Like Jesus is intentionally not responding to the call, not answering their prayers. Jesus loves them, but is not answering them when they wanted him to answer them. I want you to get this. Jesus loves them, but doesn't answer them when they want him to answer them. And Jesus loves you, and yet he will, he may not always answer you when you want him to, and the way you want him to, and how you want him to. And yet the lack of response or the lateness of the response is not an indication of how much God loves or doesn't love you. Because we see very clearly right here, he loved them and yet he still delayed. The text goes on to say, he stayed where he was two more days and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, verse eight, they said, a short while ago, the Jews were tried to stone you and, you were, and yet you were going back? Jesus answered, uh, they're, they're, they're not 12, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, but they will see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no Light. So, so, so Jesus is about to go back to Judea. Two days have passed. So we know that Lazarus, has, his sickness has gotten worse. That's all we know. His sickness has gotten worse. Two days have passed. He's about to go back to Judea. And his disciples are like, hold on, Jesus. Like, they just tried to kill you in like Judea. Why are we going back? And Jesus is like, okay, you got 12 hours to work. When the day is up, you got 12 hours to work. When the night comes, you can't work. Right. So we've got to go. Um, he says, anyone who walks during the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble for they have no light. What Jesus is trying to communicate to them, it's almost like a side message, aside from what he's trying to do with Lazarus. It's like a side point where Jesus is really talking about opportunity. Jesus says, like, listen, I have an opportunity right now to show you a glimpse of how I operate in this world. And even though that opportunity might put us in jeopardy with our lives being taken because they're mad at us and they might try to kill us, I need to make sure you get this opportunity, you see this lesson I'm trying to teach you. Because in a moment, I can imagine Jesus is thinking, I'm not gonna be here. And when I'm not here, I need to leave you with something that will keep you going when it appears as though I am inattentive, unconcerned, and late. So Jesus is really trying to teach them this lesson. This is how I operate. Do not lose heart. Do not give in. Don't doubt. I need you to catch this lesson. So he, he, they gathered their things in verse 11, and he said to his disciples, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. This is why we're going back, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus, verse 13, had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, 
I'm glad I was not there. Okay, hold on, Jesus. Like, let's just, let's just get this. Like, Jesus, you love Lazarus, and Lazarus loves you, and you love Mary and Martha, and Mary and Martha love you, and you all have this little bromance going on thing here between you and Lazarus, and you all are super close. And what you're telling us, Jesus, is that you're glad that Lazarus is dead? Like, like the Lazarus that you love, and the one that when they call you and they refer to him, they say the one that you love, you're actually glad that he is dead? You, you knew he was going to die, and yet you did nothing about it? Like, why would you do that? Why would you allow someone that you love so much to go through so much pain and suffering? Why would you not step in? Why would you not intervene? Why would you not show up? Why would you not allow your healing hand to rest on him so that not just he doesn't have to suffer, but that Mary and Martha also don't have to suffer? You say you love them, God. Why are you allowing these things to happen in their life? I mean, imagine how Mary and Martha are feeling. They're feeling as they are wiping the sweat from their brother's brow, as he is probably has fever and he has chills, he's cold, but he's sweating and they're trying to keep him comfortable. And then over a period of hours and maybe in a few days, he eventually begins to fade. Imagine how they're feeling, the disappointment, the unmet expectations. God, we called on you. Jesus, we sent for you. You love us. We love you. And yet you don't show up. Why would you let him die? It's very easy for us to, 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 to look at this text because we have, you know, a hindsight is 2020 vision. But place yourself there because some of you have been in a situation and are still in a situation where you're looking around your life and you're saying, God, you said you love me and I believe with all my heart that I love you. God, why haven't you shown up? And then to know that Jesus actually said, I'm glad I was not there. It's a challenge. It's a challenge when we try to understand God's plan for our life, and yet when we look around us, it seems as though God doesn't care about our life. It's a challenge to try to reconcile the purposes and the plans of God when we're suffering in our family and our marriage and our children are sick and our loved ones are dying and we're struggling financially, and yet we look out in the world and we see men and women who don't know you, who aren't professed believers, who aren't in Christ, who seem to be prospering. It's a challenge when everyone around us seems to be doing well, but when the body of Christ, when individuals who say that they are followers of the Most High, they are suffering, God, and it seems like you don't care. What do you do? Jesus says in verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Huh. Jesus says, I'm going to use this sickness to produce something in you that will result in my glory. I'm going to use this sickness to produce something in you that will result in my glory. He says, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. It's so important, this lesson that God is trying to teach them, that he would let someone die in order to produce something in them. And ultimately, let me just cut to the chase. What God is trying, what Jesus is trying to produce in his children is maturity. <laughs> He's like, I'm not always going to be here. My, my days are numbered. But what I need from you, the body of Christ, what I need from you, my disciples, what I need from you, my followers, is I need you to be mature. I need you to grow up. I need you to understand that things aren't always going to work out the way you want them to work out, how you want them to work out, and when you want them to work out. There's going to be some times when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and it feels like the walls are collapsing. There's going to be some times when you're wrestling with depression and anxiety and it feels like I'm not there. And so what I need to do is I need to produce something in you that will carry you during those times. So yes, I am going to allow Lazarus to die because it is so important that I produce mature faith in you. So this sickness is for a specific purpose because the delay and the lateness 
and the inattentiveness and the unconcernedness that it appears that God is manifesting in one area of your life is actually producing fruit in another area of your life. I want to make sure you get this. I want to make sure you get this. Is that is simply that when God, when God's delay or God's delay in one area of your life produces fruit in another area of your life. If you have what it takes to hold on and to keep looking at the Father and to not give in and to not throw in the towel, what God is trying to say to us is that I need you to grow up and be mature and understand that we live in a sinful world and there's a lot of drama all around us. I need to teach you that in this life, things won't always work out the way you want them to. And some of you will spend night after night after night crying to me, but it will seem like the situation does not get any better. But it, the situation, will not get better because I'm trying to produce something in you. And you will be tempted to stop praying. You will be tempted to stop crying. You will be tempted to throw in the towel. But I'm trying to teach you that when it doesn't get any better, you must still believe in me. You will pray and you will cry and it won't get better. But you still must believe. This is mature faith. This is faith that says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. This is faith that says, though I walk through the, through the storms and through the fires and through the, through the trials and tribulations, I will not let my Savior go. The Bible says in verse 17 that on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. It's, it's interesting um, because what they suggest is that if Jesus would have come back earlier, many of the Jews believe that though you may be dead, there was like a three-day period where your spirit still kind of hovered over the body. But after that three-day period, it was like, okay, you're dead for real now. Like, like the first three days, you're kind of dead. But after that third day, you're, you're really dead. And so the Bible says that Jesus, that, that Lazarus had already been in the tomb. So they had gone through this, this wrapping him in the grave clothes. He had died. They had had the funeral and he, the, 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 the tomb had been sealed. He had been there for four days when Jesus shows up. For four days, Mary and Martha had been crying and trying to reconcile what in the world, why in the world would Jesus let this happen? For four days, they had felt left over and abandoned and forgotten and marginalized. For four days, they felt as though Jesus had failed. Waiting and waiting and waiting. And while they waited, Lazarus died. The thing that they were praying for died. The thing that they were hoping for was buried. And it wasn't as though Jesus was unable. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Jesus was able because we had seen him. We had seen him heal the Roman centurions. We had seen him heal uh, uh, Jairus' daughter. We had seen him heal the servants. We had, seen, we had seen him do marvelous things in the past. So it wasn't as though we questioned his ability. Maybe he just wasn't willing. But we loved him and he loved us. Why would he not be willing? He just took too long. And for some of you, you are right where Mary and Martha are. You're looking at your situation and it is D-E-A-D, -E dead. And you're saying to yourself, it wasn't that God was unable to do something. It just took too long. Maybe he didn't want to, but how would, why would he not want to heal my marriage? Why would he not want to heal my child? Why would he not want to heal my, my loved one? Why would he not want me to prosper? God, maybe you just got so caught up with everyone else's prayers that I slipped through the cracks. You didn't hear me. 
Maybe I didn't say the right prayer. <laughs> maybe I didn't have the right formula and the right words, and I didn't say the Our Father, and maybe I only prayed once. Maybe I should have prayed twice. And you're like, Mary and Martha, I understand your pain. The Bible says that when Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, verse 18, verse 19, that many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she, sent out, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. <laughs> Why do you think Mary stayed? Someone talk to me. Why do you think Mary stayed? I, I think Mary stayed because Mary was like, she was hot. She was like, oh, no, 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 don't come now, brother. Like, no, you were a day late and a dollar short. Like, you had an opportunity and you just left us hanging. I, I really think Martha went out because Martha was like, no, nah, like, I need answers, right? Martha was that type of, that type of woman. She's like, no, I need answers, right? Mary was that type of woman. She's like, Mm-mm, I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. Nope, don't even, don't even come by my way no more, right? Mary is hurting. She's frustrated. She's annoyed. At the lateness, you mean like, like the party's over, like we don't we stack the chairs and now you show up? Like why now? Why not? I mean, you could have, I mean, you could have just sent a word. You could have just snapped your fingers. You could have just thought a thought. You could have sent a word back to, to, with a servant and you could have been like, you know what, your brother's going to be okay. You said nothing to us, Jesus. And now you come. And when Martha, when Martha confronts, When Martha confronts Jesus, she comes and she's like, verse 21, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my marriage wouldn't have failed. (laughs) If you would have been here, my child wouldn't be sick. If you would have been here, I wouldn't have lost my parent to COVID. I wouldn't have lost my job. If you would have been here, it would not have been this bad. (laughs) Jesus you answer everyone else's prayer. You did all these great things in the past. Why wouldn't you do it for me? Full disclosure, I've asked that question. And I'm sure you've asked that question. Essentially what Martha is saying is, Jesus, this is your fault. Like, yeah, I I get that he was sick, This is on you. You could have done something. And Jesus, like in only the way that Jesus can, he comes in. He says, Martha, verse 23, your brother will rise again. (laughs) And Martha, I think she's, she's over, she's, I think she's kind of moved past the grieving part. I think she, Martha's like in the, I'm going to give you a piece of my mind part, right? She's like, let me, let me tell you how I'm really feeling. Martha answered, she's like, oh, don't try to like theologically explain this thing away. Like, yes, I know he will rise again in the rec- resurrection at the last day. Martha's like, I, I went to Sabbath school. I've been in the Sunday school. I-, I-, I caught that lesson. Like, I got it. I believe in the resurrection. Yes, he will rise again at the last day. Jesus, that doesn't help us right now. It doesn't help the pain we're experiencing. To know that one day you're going to come and you're going to fix everything doesn't solve my problems now. Martha's like, I don't want your theological explanation. If you would have been here, if you would have been here. And Jesus says to Martha, Martha, you think the resurrection is an event, which it is. But Martha, I am the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha came looking for a solution. Jesus gave her the resurrection. He said, hey, your brother will live again. Martha said, oh, yeah, I know he'll live again when you come again. Jesus said, no, I am the resurrection. Martha was looking for a solution. Jesus said, I am the solution. <laughs> so I, want you, I don't want you to miss this. Because a lot of times we are Martha, where we come to God looking for a solution. God, I need you to show up on my job. God, I need you to fix this 
tax situation I got going on. God, I need a solution. I need you to, to forgive these student loans. Come on, God, let, let, let them just do that executive order thing. God, help give, bring me some deliverance. God, I need you to fix my husband, fix my wife, fix my spouse. God, my children are crazy. God, I need you to do something. And we're looking to God for a solution. And a lot of times God delays in answering our prayers or providing the solution because God is trying to get us to understand that while you're looking for a literal, temporal, tangible solution, God is trying to say to us the same thing he said to Martha, I am the solution. Like you want, you want someone to, to put $50,000 in your bank to solve all of your financial problems. You want someone to come in to fix your home and fix your marriage. You want me to show up and start changing hearts and minds. And God's like, no, 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 no. I am the solution. And that if you have me in your life, Martha, if you have me in your life, even though it might look like your marriage is failing, even though it might look like your children are crazy, even though you might stress and be pulling your hair out because of your finances, if you have me in your life, I am your peace. Jesus is trying to move them from being so dependent on him waving his hand and fixing the solution and being more dependent on having him the person in their life. That no matter what's happening around us, no matter what's happening to us, I know that because I am in relationship with the Father and I'm in relationship with Jesus, that it will be well with my soul. This is a level of maturity that God is trying to move the people. And we know this because Jesus then asked Martha that million dollar question. When I don't answer your prayers and I don't show up the way you want me to show up, when you want me to show up, and how you want me to show up, do you still believe me? That is the question. When God's plan doesn't line up with your plan and God's timetable doesn't line up with your timetable, do you still believe? Do you still believe? Are, are you going to hold on to him and say, God, you know what? It doesn't make sense to me. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. You know, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so great are your thoughts and above my thoughts, God. You know, I have not seen, ear has not heard. I, I, you know, not, neither has entered into the heart of man what God desires for them, God. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. God, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm still holding on and I still believe that you are my savior. And that even though my brother might be in the grave and even though my marriage might be in divorce court and even though my children might have already lost their mind, even though my health is failing and, I'm, and, I, and, and they've given me only a number of days to live, God, I still believe. I still believe because my faith in you is not rooted on what you do, when you do, and how you do. My faith in you is rooted on the love that you have for me and what you did on Calvary. So though he slay me, yet I will still trust him. And I don't always understand the activity and the purposes and the plans of God. But I believe that whatever he's doing, it is better and it is wise and it is perfect. Martha responds in verse 27. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah. It's almost like she gives God like this. Okay, okay, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're the Messiah. Okay, yeah, I get it. You're the son of God. You came into the world. And then after she said these things, she went back and called her sister Mary. She said, Mary, the teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. Mary, we know you're mad, but Jesus wants to have a conversation with you. And I just want to tell you, there's some of you all right now who are mad with Jesus because he did not show up the way you wanted him to show up, but he still wants to have a conversation with you. He's asking for you. 
When Mary heard this, she got up quickly. She went to him. Verse 32 says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. God, it's your fault I'm in this situation. It's your fault I'm experiencing this pain. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. And so he asked the question, verse 34, where have you laid him? He asked, show me the source of your pain. Take me to the place where you put him, where you buried him. Take me to the place where you buried your situation. Come and see, Lord, they replied, verse 25, and Jesus wept. I wonder why Jesus wept. There's a lot of theories and scholars and individuals, authors who suggest Jesus wept for a number of reasons. Some say that he wept because of their unbelief. Some say that he identified with their pain. Ah, we don't really know why he wept, but in my own imagination, I can imagine that Jesus wept because he knew it's going to be hard. He knew that pain is real and life is real and suffering is real. And being a follower in Christ is no promise that you are somehow you get a get out of suffering card. You're going to suffer and it's real. And Jesus feels your pain. But he wants you to believe. So they take him. Verse 38 says, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was, with, and it was a cave with a stowed, stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. Now, mind you, he had been, for, been there four, four days now. And so by this time, the decom, uh, decomposing process, decomposition process has already started. And we believe that there is a stench that is surrounding this corpse, not even a body, a corpse called Lazarus. But the Lord, and, but, and, but Lord said Martha, and Martha kind of confirms this, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad order for he had been there for four days. Martha was like, Lord, you're too late. Like he stinks. Not only is he dead dead, but now he also stinks dead, right? And the worms are probably having their way in him and with him and maggots are probably already starting to set in. God, like he's dead dead. Like paper signed final dead. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? It's, I, I can't help but, but just kind of laugh at Jesus, not at him, but at what he's trying to do, because this whole thing was like a setup. This whole thing, it was like Jesus is saying, listen, this whole thing is about my glory. Like, I want you to get this. This whole thing is about my glory. And it's, 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 it's hard to, for us to comprehend because it's like, God, you will let your loved one suffer and you will let him die just so that you could get glory. Just so that we could learn something. And I think this is the lesson for us that God is trying to say to us, I won't always be there. It's not always going to be rosy. I'm not going to always be there to multiply the fish and the loaves. I'm not always going to be there to lay hands on your fever. I'm not always going to be there to cure you and heal you from COVID. It's going to get messy. I won't always respond how you want me to respond, when you want me to respond, and the reason or the, or the way you want me to respond. But if you can believe in me still, you will see a glimpse of my glory. So they took the stone away, verse 41. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. <laughs> it's so funny, like Jesus is like, okay, let me have a word of prayer with my father. And in front of everyone, he's like, let me just let them know that I'm connected, right? He's like, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I think that you have always heard me. I know you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. This is about, this is about me, he's basically saying, so that you will see my glory. It's about something I'm trying to do in your life so that 
that others will see God, others will see the glory that you have placed on me and that they will be, and that I will be glorified through whatever they're going through. I want you to understand, it's like Jesus saying, this is about, this is about the glory of the Father. Verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There is absolutely nothing God can't do. Get it in your spirit. There is absolutely nothing God can't do. So why doesn't God do something about your situation? Okay, preacher, there's nothing that God can't do. Why doesn't God heal my loved one of COVID? Why doesn't God help me get that job? Why doesn't God, you know, fix this situation in my life? And to be honest, I don't know. I simply don't know. But I know he can. And sometimes I know he waits. And while I'm waiting, I know I will trust him in the meantime. There's nothing God can't do. But why he has not showed up in your life the way you want him to and how you want him to and when you want him to, I do not know. But I do know that sometimes God waits. But I will trust him even though he is late. I want to always understand God's plan, but I will trust God's plan. And I recognize that this, again, is not an emotionally satisfying word because some of you are sitting in some real pain right now. And you're like, God, why, God, why, God? Why? And you have more questions than you have answers. And I wish I could come in and say, because this is what God's trying to do and this and that and the other. But the reality is, is that I don't know. But what I do know is that sometimes God waits. But what God wants from you is for you to trust him anyhow. To keep on believing. So that is my prayer for us. That's my prayer for you. That in this moment, as you look at your Lazarus who's dying, as you look at your situation, and it's like, Jesus, any time now, Jesus, please, Jesus, please, that you might understand that God, sometimes he waits and he delays and he's late, but we must trust him anyhow. Let me pray for you. Father, this is a difficult word, especially in this season where we have lost so much and so many people. And not to say that this season of Earth's history is any worse than any other season. There have been times on Earth's, throughout Earth's history where it has been utter chaos with death. We see that throughout the word. We see that in our history books. But God, we're going through this one right now. And it's painful. Not just the pandemic, but just the personal pain that some of us are going through in our own lives. And God, in this moment, we don't have the answer, but we wish you would show up. We wish that you would speak a word, God. We wish that you would just somehow bring relief to our situation. But God, I recognize that your purposes and what you're doing is far beyond our understanding. And God, in this moment, we just wanna renew our faith and our belief in you. That though it might not always work out the way we want and when we want and how we want, God, we will still trust you. God, there's someone who's watching and listening right now who literally just threw in the towel. They feel like they're done. What good is this thing called Christianity? It's gotten them nothing from their perspective. Oh God, I pray that they might hear this message 
and recognize that it's not about what you get, it's about who you are walking with through life. And that they might journey with you still, pulling close to you. God, may they know that you love them and that, yeah, they're going to go through some things as we all go through some things, just like you love Lazarus. And yet you let you you allowed him to die. That is no indication of how much you love us, the, the pain or the suffering that we go through or don't love us. But that you are doing something greater in our lives. So, Lord, may your people hold on to you. May they continue to walk with you and journey with you. And may they say, like Job said, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. God, this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. So my prayer for you, for us during this season, if you want to talk your situation out, if you're going through something and you feel like, you know what, I need a community, I need someone to talk to, someone to pray with, we are definitely here for you. You can jump over to our website. You can text the, the number at the bottom of the screen right now. You can let us know who you are and we will be in touch. You don't have to go through life alone. Even though we are, the church is fragmented and we're all over the place and we're not in one place gathered worshiping together. You are not alone. We love you and you belong here. Thanks so much and we're praying for you. <laughs>